The famous Uncle Sam poster, I Want You, is created by James Montgomery Flagg. 10,000 African-American men, women, and children silently walked down New York City's Fifth Avenue to protest racial discrimination and violence. They marched behind a row of drummers, the only sound the protesters make. Republican Jeanette Rankin becomes the first woman elected to the United States House of Representatives. And oh yes, the Chicago White Sox defeat the New York baseball giants in the World Series four games to two, and believe it or not, Georgia Tech is the national champion at 9-0 in NCAA football. Federal spending this year is $1.95 billion. As the year begins, a first-class stamp costs two cents. It will soon be three, a 50% increase. The annual average wage is $720. A loaf of bread is nine cents. The average house is $6,313. And the, you can buy a new car for $360. The electric water heater, and believe it or not, the modern zipper are both invented. February is an eventful month. As the last American troops commanded by General John Pershing leave Mexico, and the German Navy that month torpedoes seven Dutch ships. Oh yes, on Wednesday, February 28th, Many representatives from the Potomac Baptist Association, First Baptist Alexandria, Clarendon Baptist, Cherrydale Baptist, and Delray Baptist are present as McLean formally organizes its Baptist church. The Constitution is drawn up and the church is officially off the ground. Nine families found the church, formed the nucleus of the church with several other families under watch care. So, here we are, almost 36,526 days later. There have been several buildings and several building campaigns, renovation campaigns, many worship services, baptisms, funerals, weddings, prayer meetings, and guess what, several committee meetings as well. <laughs> A lot of metaphorical stones have been placed in, around, and through this place. So as we anticipate the 100th anniversary of McLean Baptist Church, it's a good time to ask, along with the biblical text, what mean these stones? It's mission critical to be in touch with our past, our heritage. We simply cannot celebrate today unless and until we're meaningfully related to the past. Did you hear the text? If we're cut off from the past, if we have no memory of the past, then the present has no meaning. That's why amnesia victims have so much trouble adjusting, living in the present, because they have no past. No, we're not to live in the past, and too many try to remember the good old days that never were as good as we remember them being. 
If we try to live in the past, or if we do live in the past, then the past has control over us. It clouds our future. So how can we relate to it like the Israelites did, like God commanded the Israelites to do? How can we relate to our past? It was Henry Nouwen who said, There is no hope for the future until the past is received, accepted, and forgiven. Yes, for almost all of us, if not all of us, there is pain. There is success in our past. That's true for McLean Baptist Church. But redemptive remembering makes no attempt to live in the past. The truth is, though, we are where we are, who we are, bumps and bruises, sins and successes. We are all these things because of our past, which contributes to who we are today. We can celebrate the past as God's people because God has been at work in our past and promises to take us into the future to be at work in our future. Think with me about McLean Baptist Church. This space where we worship didn't simply appear out of nowhere. Many who have gone before us gave, they sacrificed, in order that we might have this place. And it will take giving and sacrificing for it to continue. There are no free lunches. A place where people understand that believing, yes, believing is important, but doing is important as well. And that means And that means that we give of our time, our talent, our financial resources, and we do it with glad and generous hearts because we have been given so much by those who have gone before us. You and I stand on the shoulders of so many saints who have gone before us. And you and I have the responsibility to do that for those who come after us, that they too will have shoulders to stand on and remember the past and anticipate the future that God has for them. So we gather here to hear stories of our forefathers, our foremothers, and if we fail to know those stories, we have no clue who we are. Diane and I have hundreds of pictures of family members. My mother-in-law got three copies of every photo she ever made, and so when she died, we got those plus ours plus some more. And the fact of the matter is, I've got a whole basket full of picture books, photograph books, and I don't know who some of those people are, and they're my family. This Friday, was it Friday? Yes, Friday morning, before I got on the plane to come back here. Diane and I were pulling things out. She said, oh, there are things underneath our bed. We're trying to pack because we sold our house. We may be homeless, so if you've got an extra room, let me know. (laughs) We were trying to get things packed. She said, oh, we got things under our bed. So I start pulling things out. There's pictures and pictures. And then finally, the last one I pulled out was one of those oval ones. You've seen them, those old oval. And we looked at it as a little baby, and I said, Is that your mother? Is that your mother, Diane? She said, I don't know. Then she looked on the back and it said Ruth Hampton. I said, oh, that's my mother. (laughs) 
You know, we fail to keep in touch, to go to those family reunions to hear the stories, to be reminded of whence we came. You know, I can't tell our daughters some of the stories of our family because I don't know them myself. That's why we gather here every Sunday. Every time we gather in this room, it's a reunion. So in years to come, when our children look at the pictures, when they see the family heirlooms, the family keepsakes, and they say, what mean these things? Then we can tell them about our family. We can share with them the rich heritage that they have because we have gathered, we have heard, and we remember. And they too will know, they will remember because they have been here also. They will know what these stones mean. In my first pastorate, I had a very, very small office. It was so small, you had to go outside to change your mind. There were, when three of us were in the office, our, all three sets of knees touched. I remember one afternoon having a woman, a woman was in my office. She was there for some meeting, and she sat down. She wasn't a member of the church, didn't attend. She said, well, she said in terms of this church stuff, she said, I've decided to allow my children to decide for themselves. And you know what I wanted to say? I wanted to say, oh, so you let your children decide what they're going to eat when they go to bed, whether or not they go to school, what they'll wear. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? Did you hear the text? The 12 stones placed in a pile and the children ask what mean these stones? What is your answer? What is the answer? It's a rundown of family history. It's a witness to what God has been about in the life of the Israelites. It's a witness to God's mighty acts on their behalf with the promise that God will still be working on their behalf in the future. You see, we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're part of a larger community that extends back long before you and I were a twinkle in anybody's eyes. It's, we're part of something bigger than the glimmer of, our, glimmer of our own individual candles. That's what it means to gather here together and to worship, to value our heritage, to create a heritage for those who come after us. It is to connect with one another, to care for one another in Christ's name, to teach one another the ways of faith, to call each other to confession, to pray for and with each other, to offer forgiveness, to be a part of one another, to have responsibility to and with one another, to be accountable not only to God but to each other that's the authentic church of Jesus Christ that connects us with each other our lives are impoverished if we don't know that heritage he went looking for a necklace cross for his wife went into the jewelry store and the young lady waited on him he was looking at all the little crosses he looked at one and she said, oh no, oh no, you don't want that one. It's got a little man on it. Truth is, we must do a better job of biblical literacy. Because we're in danger of raising a whole generation that's biblically illiterate, that has no idea who that little man on that cross is. A whole generation that doesn't know the family history, the family story. 
We gather to remember and reenact the stories of the Old and New Testaments. Hearing those stories keeps us in touch with our identities. In fact, it creates our identity. That's why we're here so consistently, so persistently, because it forms us spiritually. You know, our daughters love to hear us tell them stories when they were young. We read book after book after book. But you know, one of their favorite stories was always about the day that they were born. The wonder of their coming to be in the first place. Oh, Daddy, Daddy, tell me again about the time I was born. They never got tired of it. It reminded them of of who and whose they were. It reminded them of the miracle that was involved in their birth and how much we love them. The same can be said for God's people who gather and who tell their, their being born stories and their being born again stories over and over and over again. It's a miracle of God that we came into being and that we exist to this day. So how do we connect? How do we connect? Did you hear the Hebrew story uh, text that Margaret read? And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. David Elkind, the psychologist, went to visit his son's preschool. It was dad's day at preschool. He was stunned when he got there. There are only two other dads there. During the morning, though, he overheard his son and three other little boys talking. Well, my daddy's a doctor, and he makes lots of money, and we live in a big house and have a swimming pool. Well, my dad's a lawyer and he makes lots of money. He goes to Washington and talks to the president. Well, my daddy has his own business and he has his own airplane. He can fly in it whenever he wants. And David's son looked proudly at his father and said, Well, my daddy's here. There's no substitute for showing up. If we don't show up, if we don't, then our lives are impoverished. If McLean Baptist Church is going to live, thrive, and serve the next hundred years, you're going to have to show up. Thanks be to God for the first hundred. Imagine together what God wants to do for the next. Let me ask you a question. Just one. What kind of stone or what kind of stones are you laying down? Amen.